Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you, or at least you can see me. And uh, I'm sure you saw online this week, given the situation, we are doing church online for the next few weeks. Uh, We're not going to be gathering as house churches, just given the situation. This really is the best thing. And so hunker down, um, get your jammies, your hot coffee, sit on the couch, in bed, whatever you need to do, we're doing church at home. And so I hope you're comfortable. Uh, We're going to open God's Word in just a moment, but I know that you were, uh, a lot of us are doing the Lent experience this week, and um, we were memorizing Scripture. I hope that went well. Um, And this next week, if you look in your booklet, you'll notice that we're supposed to have a meal with our oikos, with somebody far from Jesus but near to us to invite them over to our house. Well, (laughs) that's not going to work, is it? (laughs) So uh, here's my suggestion is, uh, could you just reach out to somebody far from Jesus but near to you that you have a relationship with? Could you uh, send them a text, make a phone call, whatever you need to do, maybe bring them some toilet paper, (laughs) whatever you need to do to just love on them, reach out to them. Let's make that our exercise for this week ahead, all right? Uh, Just a reminder, we're in this series called Journey to the Cross, and we're following Jesus and the miracles that he did in the book of John. Uh, There are seven of them plus the resurrection, so eight in total, and we're walking through these as we go to the cross. And so uh, this week we come to some famous miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. And so they'll be really exciting. Uh, Just a reminder, this is what Jesus is doing um, in the uh, or this is what John is doing in this um, in curating this list of seven signs. He tells us in John chapter 20. He said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so basically, uh, what we have seen in this, uh, in this passage is that uh, G- uh, John's strategy is to show us Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who will fulfill all the anticipation of Israel, and he is also son of God, and he has life in himself. And if we believe in him, uh, we can have this eternal life. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 6, verses 1 to 21. So please grab your Bibles, pull out your phones, open them up. Let's go to John chapter 6. We're going to see three things this morning. We're going to look at first the feeding of the 5,000, then Jesus walking on water, and then we're going to ask the question, how does this show us the identity of Jesus, the identity of Jesus, okay? So let's go. Let's look at them together. First, the feeding of the 5,000. In verse 1, John chapter 6, verse 1, this is what it says. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is called the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And so the Sea of Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. It's this big lake, really, uh, up in the northern part of Israel, near where Jesus grew up. And it's dotted with, with towns mainly along the uh, western and northern coastlines. And um, on the far side of the lake, on the eastern side, you have what's called the Golan Heights. And they're sort of mountains, like a low rolling hill mountainous range uh, that go up that way. A lot of fighting today occurs along those lines. And uh, so that's, that's what's going on there. This is called the Sea of Tiberias also, as noted here, uh, because of the town that Herod Antipas uh, founded in 20 AD called Tiberias on the eastern shore 
shore of the lake and it got transferred the name got transferred to the lake in a lot of people's uh, language that's why it's called that here Jesus has gone into these Golan Heights into these mountains to get away for quiet but the crowds are following him we're going to learn in a little bit that there's 5,000 men there of course there's women and children also so some scholars have estimated this is possibly about 20,000, 25,000 people in this crowd. It's a massive gathering, and um, they're going to be hungry in a little bit. Um, Now, John tells us that they're there because they've seen what Jesus has been doing. He's a miracle worker. Uh, He's getting a lot of press. People are wondering who he is, and so they're very interested in what Jesus can do for them, and so they've gathered around to listen. Look at verse verse 3 here. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now Mark, so Mark tells us in his gospel, a different gospel, that Jesus went alone to be away from the crowds with his disciples. Um, But here the crowd is closing in. And John goes out of his way here to highlight something. He says the Passover was at hand. Uh, now, what's that all about? We, we know what the Passover is. If you know your Old Testament, you'll know that the Passover was the celebration of the rescue of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. So Moses, God's chosen man, uh, was, was the leader, and he led the Passover. They killed the lamb and put the blood on the po- doorposts and on the lentils of the houses, um, and the angel of death passed over them. And so the people of Israel are then liberated. They are now running away from Egypt and their bondage and slavery there. Uh, they come to the Red Sea, the pillar of fire, uh, and, and, and cloud is guiding them, the presence of God. They come to the Red Sea. Uh, Moses reaches out his staff. The waters part. They go to the other side. The Ten Commandments come down from the mountain in the hands of Moses. He leads them around the wilderness. There's, you know, they get thirsty and Moses gives them water. God gives them water through Moses. Uh, they get hungry and there's manna. They, they want meat and there's quail and God is provided for them in the wilderness. And all of this is on the way to to go to the promised land. And so the Passover is the celebration of all of what God did to redeem and rescue his people. And so the question is, why does John mention it here? Why does he say, and the Passover was at hand? Well, it could be just a time marker. He's just trying to give us some chronological block and tackle so we know what's going on. Or maybe there's something bigger going on. And I want to just put a pin in that for a second. We'll come back to it, okay? But look at verse five as it continues. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large cloud, a crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, not me, a different Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him for he knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to, for each of these to have a little. Now, Philip uh, hails from Capernaum, which is a city just to the north, right on the lake. And so uh, Jesus asked the local guy where to get food. And, and, and of course, Jesus is hatching a plan here, but Philip's thinking, I need to go find a restaurant, right? And so he says 200 denarii. That's, that's, uh, denarii was a day's wage for a blue-collar worker. So this is, this is something like $20,000. He's saying, look, if I had 20 grand, I couldn't even feed these guys a bite. I mean, I can't even provide what they need here. 
Andrew chips in with some help. Look at verse 8 here. Uh, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? (laughs) Now, five barley loaves. Barley was a peasant's grain, and so this boy is probably from a very poor uh, family. He's got two fish, probably caught from the Sea of Galilee, seasoned and dried in the sun. Um, and so it, they, there's tilapia in the lake. And um, so it's probably these small little tilapia fillets. He's got two of them here. Um, it's a small boy's, uh, small poor boy's meal. Barely enough for him. And uh, that's all Jesus has to work with. Um, but that, of course, is all that Jesus ever asks of us, isn't it? Look at verse, look at verse 10 here. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And so he says here, okay, sit down in the grass, right? And, and the, he says there's lots of grass. Mark tells us the grass was green. You say, what's, what's with these random details? Well, they're eyewitnesses. They're actually there on the scene. They're experiencing this, and they're remembering just how green the grass was, how much it was, and it was a comfortable place for everybody to sit down. And so he takes the bread, he gives thanks, and he starts handing out these, these things, and they just keep going. They never run out. He does the same thing with the fish. He gives thanks. He starts handing it out, and they, there's enough for everybody. And in some ways, this is just no big deal because God every year multiplies barley, doesn't he? A single seed becomes 25 to 30 grains on a head. Uh, uh, he multiplies fish every year. A single tilapia will lay 160 to 1,600 eggs. And so God is in the business of multiplying Life, and that's what he does. He just provides it all. <laughs> and what's interesting is Jesus, you know, he adds a little bit to it. You know, he adds the, the kneading and the preparation, the baking to the bread. He adds the seasoning and the curing to the fish. But what Jesus has done here is not so much violate the laws of nature as compress time. It's very fascinating to me. Now, verse 12, look at this. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So the disciples become the bus boys here and they go out and they're gathering up all the scraps. They each have a basket, they fill it up and the, the amount of leftovers is, is in excess of the original supply of material. <laughs> and the Jewish people would have read this and said, you know, look at this, the abundant supply, more than enough. And there's 12, there's 12 baskets, not just because each disciple has one, but in their mind, there's 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus is the one who will provide in the wilderness more than everything that the people could ever want or need, abundantly beyond what they could ask or imagine. Look at verse 14 here. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Not not just a prophet, but the prophet. What are they talking about here? This This is not just... This is just not just someone. This is the one. This is the, who are they talking about? Wait for it, wait for it. Look at verse 15. 
Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So here there are, there's 5,000 men here, a guerrilla force ready to just seize Jesus, make him king and take over the Roman Empire. They see Jesus as the prophet and they say, we've got to make him the king. And they're ready to act, to overthrow Rome, install their new leader, make it all happen. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Not the time, not the place. I am destined to be king of kings and lord of lords, but it's not now. It's not at your hands that this will happen. It will only happen by the hands of my father. And so he retreats to the Golan Heights. He goes up into the hills and the mountains to be alone. So that's the first sign, okay? End of the first sign. We're gonna come back and figure out what it means, but that's where we start, okay? Secondly, let's look at the second sign here. Walking on water, okay? Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And they got in a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. So they, so they head northwest to Capernaum. Uh, it's where they probably had come from. And so the other gospels tell us that Jesus made them get into the boat. So he said, you guys get in the boat, you guys leave. I'm going up into the hills. I'm going into the mountains. I'm gonna be alone. I need to pray. They don't wanna leave, but they do. And they head out. And so uh, there they go. Now remember, these are fishermen. This is their lake. This is their sea. They know it inside and out. They've spent their lives on it. And uh, they are fishermen by trade. So what happens next, this rough ride they're about to have, is very significant. Verse 10, or uh, verse 18, rather. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Now, the Sea of Galilee is located some 600 feet below sea level. And so cool air from the, from the uh, southeast tablelands can rush in and displace the warm, moist air that is above the lake. And it stirs this thing up into a squall. It happens several times a year annually. That's probably what is happening here. Now look at verse 19 with me. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near to the boat, and they were frightened. So, so here they are about three to four miles out in the middle of the lake. Um, they're about halfway out there, halfway to Capernaum. They're in the deepest part of the lake in the waters, and they're straining at the oars, and Jesus is out for a casual evening stroll on the water. <laughs> I love this. They're straining at the oars with all their might, heading into the wind, and here's Jesus taking a walk in the storm. I love it. And it's, and it's not like he's vague and out in the distance and they like barely see him. No, 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 he's headed right for their boat. And they start to freak out. Look at what it says, and they were frightened. <laughs> well, of course they were. I mean, I think this is like the most understated sentence here in the whole Bible, and they were frightened. In, in my mind, it was much more like this. I mean, can you imagine? So here they are. They're straining at the oars. They're in the middle of the lake. They're, str- they're, they're rowing along in, into the wind. They're hair whipping. And they look out and they say, what is that? It's coming for us. What's going on? Oh, no. Ah! 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 Wait. Wait. That's, Je- that's Jesus. Oh, it's, it's cool. It's cool. That's right. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> Something like that. That's how I imagined it in my mind. What calmed him down? What calmed him down? Look at the next verse here. Why did they, why did they relax? Verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. 
It is I. Do not be afraid. Guys, it's me. Stop freaking out. Now, here's something you're going to miss if you don't know the original Greek here. The phrase is ego eimi. Ego eimi. And if you know what that means, it means I am. It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. The name God gave to Moses when he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am that I am. This Jesus uses that phrase here. And look at verse 21. Then, then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. I love it. Oh, it's you, Jesus. Hop on in. (laughs) And immediately it says, the boat was at the land to which they were going. So no sooner have they got Jesus in the boat when they look up and they realize we're at at our destination. We've hit the banks. We've hit the shore. We're home. It's going to be okay. We're safe because Jesus is with us. And friends, when Jesus is near, we are at home, aren't we? When Jesus is near, we're at home. That's the second sign. That's the second sign. Now, what do these two signs reveal about the identity of Jesus? Let's go. The identity of Jesus. The first thing we see is that Jesus is a prophet like Moses. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. That's why in verse 14 they say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, what are they talking about here? In Deuteronomy 18, there was a prophecy about a prophet like Moses. Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is verses 15 and uh, 17 to 18, okay? The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. And the Lord said to me, so this is God the Lord God talking to Moses. The Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So throughout Israel's history, there had been a number of prophets, but none that rose to the level of Moses. You know, Moses led them them out of bondage in Egypt. Uh, That's what Passover was about, remember? Um, Moses was the one who led them through the Red Sea. He's the one who brought down the law of God from the mountain. Uh, The law and the covenant, the way that the people were to relate to God. It was through Moses that God provided water and manna, bread, and quail in the wilderness provision. It was in Moses that God was leading the people toward the land to which they were going, the promised land. And the people here start to see they start to realize that Jesus was up on the mountain and he has come down. The people have come. They're hearing the very words of God, the teaching of God as he's instructing his disciples and the crowd. They realize Passover's at hand and they're already thinking about Moses and the redemption of the people of Israel and that Jesus is now providing bread and fish, nourishment, provision in the wilderness for the people of God, a great throng and mass of them. 
and that Jesus now with the disciples is the one who miraculously crosses the sea and brings the people safely to the other side to the land where they were going. And in verse 21, it says, right? It says immediately at the land to which they were going, that's where they arrived. Why does he use this phrase? He could have said they immediately they were at the shore, immediately they were at the dock, immediately they reached harbor, immediately they were in the town that they were going. No, 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 it doesn't say any of that. It says immediately they reached the land to which they were going. Why call it a land? Well, again, think about the Moses imagery. Where is Moses going? to the promised land. Where is Jesus taking his followers? To the promised land. And Moses never got to take the people into the promised land, did he? He died before he got there. He saw it from a distance, but he didn't get to lead them in. But Jesus will finish the task that Moses was never able to complete. This, do you see the imagery? It's huge. Now you say, well, it's a little bit of a stretch. I don't know if I buy it. Look at the verses immediately preceding these stories. Go back to John chapter five, verses 46 and 47. Just flip your page in your Bible. Look at what it says there. Look at what Jesus says. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my Words. Do you see this? The verses immediately preceding both of these stories is set up as a contrast, a, a, a connection between Moses of old and Jesus now come. Believe in Moses, believe in me. Do you see that? What, the old was setting up the new. That's what he's saying. And then these two stories unpack and illustrate. John has deliberately crafted this narrative to show us Jesus is the new Moses. And he is the one who is the prophet like Moses who was to come, who would reveal the very words of God. And the people see it and understand what's happening. That's why they want to make him king. They want to make him king. Now, why do they want to make him king? A prophet you listen to, a king you submit to, why do they want to make him king also? Well, the, the, the Jewish people were also waiting for a king, a king like King David, right? Who would come, who would fulfill all the promises and the, sit on the throne and rule and reign. And if you look at the promises connected to the prophet like Moses and the promises related to the king like David, that both of whom the Israelites, the, the Jewish people are waiting for, you'll realize there's a great degree of overlap between these two sets of promises. And the people of Israel started to think, you know what? Maybe this is one person who will fulfill both expectations. And so that's where they're at here. He is both prophet and now they want to make him king. And here's how they're thinking about this. They're under Roman oppression. They have overlords that are making their lives miserable and they want, they see in Jesus a solution to their geopolitical problems. And they think what we need is a king who will vanquish all the exterior oppression we're dealing with. And Jesus is a king who will one day come and deal with all external oppression. He will when he returns. But his first coming is first to liberate us from the oppression that's on the inside. Sin, death, Satan, all the misery we live in by ourselves. He comes to vanquish these enemies first. They want him to be king of their environment, and Jesus is offering himself as king of their souls, of their lives. And so here's, let me show you how he really ties this together. 
Um, John chapter 6 continues. We didn't read these verses, but the people the next day follow Jesus around to the other side of the lake, and they meet up with Jesus. And this is what they say. John chapter 6, verses 30 to 35. So they said to him, to Jesus, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Remember, these are the people who ate the, the bread and the fish just the other day, okay? So they want another meal. That's what's going on here. What work will you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to eat from heaven. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread um, from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. <laughs> so they, they want bread. They want more food. They're like, do another miracle. Impress us, Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, what you need is not so much bread. You need me. You need me. I just fed your bodies and filled your stomachs. But what you really need is the bread that comes down from heaven. I am the bread of life. You need me because I can feed your soul and fill your hearts. This is why I'm here. And so here's the first takeaway from our passage here today is that Jesus provides. Jesus provides. Jesus is offering himself to these people and to us as everything we need. Do you see that? That he is more than enough for us. That, that Jesus, he's offering himself as our portion, as our life, as our strength, as our joy, as our everything. This is how he's offering himself to us. And that no matter what our circumstances are, that we can enjoy the blessed life, the happy life, the life in connection with Jesus where he is more than we need, abundantly beyond anything we could ask or imagine. And so even though we might be miserable on the outside, under oppression of all kinds of different things, to have the life of Jesus on the inside, that is true freedom. That is true life and joy. This is what he's offering, to provide, to nourish, to be everything we need. I am the bread of life. It's the first thing we see here. He's a prophet like Moses. He's a provider. He's the bread of life. Is he that life for you? The second thing we see here is that he is God of creation. He's God of creation. Jesus is demonstrating as he walks across the water, as he, as he multiplies the food, that he is the ruler of all creation and that he alone can rescue and provide for, for his people. He sees, we see this especially in the way he rescues his disciples in the midst of the storm. The, the Jewish people had, had their, their, their Old Testament, right? They had all these writings about who God is. Look, let me just read a couple passages for you here. In Psalm 107, for example, here, okay? Some went down to the sea in ships, it says, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the 
waves of the sea. Sound familiar? This is what just happened to the disciples. They mounted, uh, um, the, wa- the waves mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in, the, in their evil plight. This is the, 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 the people on the ship riding the waves here. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in the midst of their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. The waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And so who is it in Psalm 107 who is the Lord of the storm, the rescuer from the storm who brings people to their safe haven? It is none other than the Lord God himself. And now Jesus does it, right? Only God can command the water and the waves and bring his children safely to the other side. But Jesus does this too. He does this too. Look at this. This is from Psalm 18. In my distress, the psalmist says, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. He bowed from the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, uh, his canopy around him. Thick dark clouds covering the waters. Over the brightness before him, hailstones and, and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. The Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me and drew me out of the many Waters, Look at that. This is the Lord God. You'll notice those are capital L-O-R-D words here. That's Yahweh, the Lord of the storm. Look at Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Look at Psalm 65. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God, of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who sits on the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. You make the goings out of the morning and the evening shout for joy. Psalm 89 says something similar. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. So here's my point. Given all of this text, all of these attributes of the, of the Lord God who presides over the storm and the chaos of the waters, when Jesus strides out upon the storm, 
when he comes down from the mountain and the winds are billowing around him and the waters of chaos are stirring at his feet and he rides upon the storm in majesty and power. There is no clearer picture. This is the Lord God of all creation in the person of Jesus Christ. Even the wind and the waves obey him, as the other gospels put it. Nothing is beyond his lordship and his mastery. He is the king over the chaos waters. This is Jesus. And he says, I am. Do not be afraid. I am the Lord God, Yahweh, king over the waters of chaos and all creation. Do not be afraid. Wow. The takeaway is this. Jesus presides. Jesus presides. Not only does he provide, he presides. He's presiding over his creation in all the chaos that life may bring, in all the fears that can grip our hearts, in all that threatens to sink us. It is Jesus, even there, who is Lord and King of all. When they felt like they were going to starve in the wilderness, Jesus was their provider. When they felt like they were going to sink beneath the storm, Jesus was their rescuer, presiding over all of these things. Because in the end, thirdly, Jesus is the bringer of life. Jesus is the bringer of life. Friends, Jesus is showing us that Jesus, that he is life himself. Jesus is life himself. Life has come among us and it resides in the person of Jesus Christ, God made flesh. In the beginning of John's gospel, he wrote it this way in the very first chapter. He said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that's been made. So he's the life that created everything. The preexistent life. The life that created everything. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 18 it says, And the word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory the glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth here's the point Jesus is life life itself Jesus is the life that burst forth and brought life into all the universe Jesus is the life that sustains all the universe, all of creation. He is the Lord and master of the entire dominion of his inhabitation. He is king over all the earth. And now this life has come down and is resident in the person of Jesus Christ. Life has come to know Jesus to believe in Jesus, to trust your life in the hands of Jesus is to be in life itself. 
is to have life, eternal life now and forever. To be with Jesus is to have life. Which is why the last takeaway is that Jesus presents. Not only does he provide, not only does he preside, he presents. He presents himself, doesn't he? He comes and he makes himself available to his disciples. He says, I am. Do not be afraid. I'm right here. In the middle of the storm, I am. I am. And it says they gladly took him into the boat. Well, of course they did. In the middle of the storm, Jesus presents himself to those who love him, who are following him. I am. I am here. I am all that you need. I am Lord of this storm, and I am here for you. Will you let me in to the boat? Now, I, I want to get really real with you right now. Um, I've discovered that I'm a bit of a worrier in life. I never used to think that, you know. I, the worry sounded like something my grandma would do, you know. But I've learned that worry is when you're carrying excess emotional weight through life. You know what I'm talking about? Excess emotional weight. It's, like, it's not really yours to carry. It might be in the future. It might be unknowns. It might be things of the past. But when you carry it, you know, you get the tension in your shoulders, a hard time calming down and sleeping at night. Um, you just, there's this churn in the brain that doesn't rest. It just, but it's always kind of turning. I've learned that's actually worry. That's anxiety. That's carrying the emotional weight of things that I can't control, usually. And I do this. And when I do it the worst, when I'm most worrisome, is when I forget these things that we've just talked about. When I forget that Jesus provides. That he's more than enough for me. That in Jesus Christ, I have everything I need. When I forget that, I worry. I, I worry when I forget that Jesus presides, that he's king and Lord of my circumstances, even this storm that I'm in. All the things I'm afraid of, all the swirl, I'm afraid I'm not gonna have food, I'm afraid I'm not gonna live through the storm, I'm afraid I'm gonna sink, I'm afraid I'm gonna go down with everything that matters, I'm afraid of the unknown, I'm afraid of, ah! And I forget that Jesus is Lord over everything in my life and yours. The third thing I forget is that Jesus is presenting himself. He presents, he presents himself to us. He's always there coming toward us in our, in our fear. And we're, as we're rowing hard and trying our best to stay afloat in life. We're stressed out, we're moving hard, we're scared of the storm, and Jesus walks toward us. And he looks scary because he's the Lord of all the earth. But when he's on your side, when he says, I am, do not be afraid, and let him in the boat. And let him in the boat. When I forget that he's present, he's available, he's walking toward me, that's when I worry. When I forget that he provides, that he presides, and that he's presenting himself to me, that's when I get worried the most. And maybe you're like me. Maybe the unknown scares you. Maybe the what ifs. Maybe the the, the security of watching your, <laughs> the insecurity of watching your investments go down. 
maybe this virus and all the stuff and the what if I get it and what if someone I get, you know, somebody I love gets it. What if, um, what if I'm stuck homeschooling my kids forever? What if, what, I mean, what if this is months and what if, like, what if, what if, what, you're right, you're in the storm. We're in the, we're all in the storm. And maybe like you, or like me, you need to do this, that the disciples did. And will you let Jesus into the boat? Will you trust him to be your provider? The one who is more than enough for you. Will you trust him to be the one who presides, who is Lord even over this storm and who's got you? Will you trust him to be the one who presents himself and says, I am, I am. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. And will you let him into the boat? Because if you let Jesus into into the boat, friends, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He's all you need. He's king over this, and he's right there with us. We can trust him. Won't you let Jesus into the boat right now? Let him in to your fears. Let him into the uncertainty. Let him into the stress and the emotional weight you're carrying. Won't you let him in? He says, I am. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thanks for sending Jesus to be all that we need, to be Lord of our storms, and to be present in the midst of our chaos. Father, these are uncertain, scary times. And more than anything, we need to know these three things. That you are more than enough. That you are king over everything. And that you are with us. Would you say those words as you said to the storm, peace be still? Would you say that to our hearts? Peace be still. Calm the storm inside of us, we pray as we look to you. Help us to trust. Help us not to worry. Help us to run to you. Hold us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.